Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. I'm Michael Krasny. The California Department of Justice has opened an investigation into allegations that the Vallejo Police Department destroyed evidence in a fatal shooting by an officer. The family of Sean Monterosa, along with city officials and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, are calling for an FBI probe into the case. Then at 9.30, we'll discuss the latest news about Caltrain's funding woes as the agency reels from a severe drop in ridership Officials want voters to approve a dedicated funding source in November, but the plan is met with opposition. Join us after this news. Welcome to this morning's forum. I'm Michael Krasny. California's Attorney General launched an investigation on Friday into the Vallejo Police Department after reports that evidence in the police shooting of Sean Monterosa was destroyed. The 22-year-old Monterosa was kneeling when an officer fired shots through the windshield of a police truck and killed him. Vallejo Police last week confirmed that the police disposed of the windshield instead of preserving it as evidence. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has joined Vallejo City officials and Monterosa's family in calling for the FBI to investigate. And joining us to discuss the case in the troubled Vallejo Police Department, which has shot more people per capita than neighboring cities, is Erica Cruz Guevara. She's producer with KQED's The Bay Podcast, and welcome. Good morning. Good morning, Michael. Glad to have you with us. Also glad to have Brian Kranz with us. He's an investigative reporter working with the nonprofit newsroom Open Vallejo, and welcome, Brian Kranz. Thank you for having me. Good to have you. And Brian Kranz, let me begin with you. This was um, essentially... Let's uh, take us back, if you would, for a moment to uh, June 2nd. It was a night of demonstrations over the killing of George Floyd, and uh, 22-year-old Sean Monterosa was shot and killed, as I said in the introduction, with five rounds. And what we're talking about now is the windshield through which he was shot, and the truck, well, both sort of disappeared. I mean, the windshield is is no longer uh, available, and... um, the truck is in service. Uh, it was supposed to go through the police chief or the city's attorney's office. That's the protocol and didn't. So where are we and what do we know at this point about what actually occurred that night? Well, um, the night of June 2nd, uh, the, the night of June 1st and into the early morning hours of June 2nd, um, there were widespread reports of, of looting all over Vallejo. Apparently a group that had hit Fairfield the night before had decided to come down to Vallejo. So police officers were scrambling all over Vallejo trying to stop, you know, smash and grab robberies and things like that. And um, 
around 12:30, they came across a small group of people in the Walgreens parking lot, and um, which quickly turned into a, a unmarked police truck with three detectives in it. Came in to the parking lot, and one of the detectives fired from the back seat of the car. Fired five times, as you said, through the windshield, and um, Mr. Monterosa was pronounced dead um, at about 1:30 a.m. And since then, the, the issue with the evidence of the truck is that the uh, truck windshield was discarded, uh, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we don't know yet. And then the truck was just put back into service um, like you normally would. You, know, you get your car window broken out, you just have somebody come fix it and take it off. But unfortunately, this was evidence in a crime. Well, the family attorney, Melissa Nolt, said it's either corruption or ineptness. And uh, as she put it, she doesn't know which is worse. But at this point, you would need the windshield for trajectory analysis, wouldn't you? Yes, that's exactly it. It give independent investigators the opportunity to know, because um, the police released the body cam, but it didn't show what Mr. Monterosa was doing. The police chief had said he was on his knees. Some said he had his hands up. And it wasn't able to show that, but this way they would be able to show the bullet trajectory to help give them a better idea of what Mr. Monterosa was doing and, and the angle at which the bullet hit him. And the police narrative has changed. The uh, original one that you leave, that the police chief, who we invited, by the way, and who was not available, um, said was not accurate and then changed the narrative? Yes. At first they came out and it was like, you know, he was on his knees um, and that led a lot of people to believe that he was he was surrendering because, you know, these vehicles were coming in very fast. Some vehicles were fleeing. But then the Vallejo Police Officers Association, their union, they released more of a statement that provided more um, police-like language, like saying he was taking a tactical stance and looking like he was ready to shoot. But as we'd soon learned, he didn't have a gun. You know, it was a hammer in his pocket. Um, so there is all the, the murky details about what would have brought that detective to believe that his life was at risk or for whatever reason that he needed to fire through the truck's windshield. And uh, Erica, if I can go to you, Erica Cruz Guevara, again, as producer of KQD's The Bay podcast. Uh, this comes after the whole controversy over Willie McCoy, young rapper, young black rapper, also in Vallejo, who was shot. And certainly at this point, it's uncertain whether he was reaching for a gun or not. The video is unclear and the family says there was no gun, just like in the Monterosa case. But let's go back a little bit because we have 21 fatal shootings in Vallejo since 2005, more people shot there per capita than neighboring cities. And mostly we're talking about black and brown people, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And and also, you know, mostly young black and brown people. Um, Willie McCoy was, we've 20 years old when he was shot um, in 2019. Uh, Sean Monterosa was 22. And, you know, I, I keep thinking, especially in this moment, um, what, what it means uh, that Sean Monterosa was from San Francisco, you know, uh, Vallejo has, um, as you said, had more police shootings per capita um, for a long time. Um, you know, in, in 2012, Vallejo police killed six people, which accounted for 30% of the city's homicides that year. And, you know, Willie McCoy was the most recent police shooting, but but when he was killed, you know, there weren't the same kind of protests and um, and folks kind of showing up to City Hall in the same numbers that you are seeing today. And I think that's I think that's a really I think that's a huge kind of deal for for San or for Vallejo right now that 
you know, people are really kind of mobilizing in the streets in a way that you've never really seen before, I think for a confluence of factors, you know, absolutely what's happening nationally since the death of George Floyd. But I also think the fact that uh, Sean Monterosa is from San Francisco and now it's people outside of the city of Vallejo in the Bay Area who are now paying attention to what's happening there. We also, I think, Erica, need to focus in on the fact that, uh, as many people certainly recall, Vallejo went into bankruptcy in 2008, and it certainly affected the police force. Uh, there's, there's a direct line between lack of money for training. Uh, you've written about this quite, I think, uh, illustratively, and fewer officers, uh, officers often going out alone in the field, and the crime rate's going up. And uh, we've got really also those huge payments that were made for legal settlements because of police action. Right. Yeah. In um, in 2008, when the city of Vallejo, you know, famously went into bankruptcy, one of the first cities to do so at the time, um, the city was paying, I think, more than 70 percent of its budget was going to police and firefighter salaries and benefits. And that was exactly what pushed the city into bankruptcy was negotiations between the firefighter union and the and the police and you know i spoke with um a, a police officer who was you know at the time working at the Vallejo police department about what he was seeing internally and you know he described a situation where there were fewer officers um on duty and a lot of these officers kind of going into situations alone um, as opposed to with groups of people and were really just afraid, you know, uh, and that really culminated into a moment in about 2011 when a, an officer was shot and killed in the line of duty, um, James Lowell Caput. And uh, that really was, I think, a turning point for a lot of people within the Vallejo Police Department um, who had believed that uh, what was happening with the city budget was was going to get someone killed. And, you know, the, the next year, it wasn't just, uh, you know, a police officer who was who was shot and killed. It was six, six civilians, six people shot and killed by the police. And when you think about, you know, just the the situations that um, that police were going into, uh, you know, again, they were they were afraid, and 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 it's really interesting when you think about just this moment where you know uh, people are are calling to to defund the police and and are really saying that you know the police aren't working at all, um, whether they are funded or not. And I think this is just an interesting moment uh, for for the city of Vallejo and, and that regard as well. Well, I'd like to bring our listeners into this, and if you have something you'd like to say about what we're talking about, we're talking about the Vallejo Police Department's handling of the fatal officer shooting of San Mon Sean Monterosa. And if you'd like to join the conversation, we'd like to hear from you. You can join us now at our toll-free number. The number to call is 866-733-6786. If you'd like to weigh in, we'd like to hear from you. Again, that number is 866-733-6786, or if you have questions about this, we'd like to hear from you as well. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has called this a horrible act of brutality that continues to shake our Bay Area community, and she's called for an FBI investigation, and we'd like to hear your thoughts. You can also join us, of course, by Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email. Any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. And at this point, Brian Kranz, uh, who's doing the investigating here? I mean, the DA's office, uh, I'd like to hear what you have to say about that investigation. But now, uh, 
Uh, Attorney General Becerra is back in it, although he said at first he wasn't going to handle it, but he said he wants to restore public trust, so he's back in. And we've got the California Board of Justice. We've got the Vallejo City officials also investigating. I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but first of all, how's the Solano County DA handled this? Um, well, it's actually pretty interesting because last week there were just a barrage of letters back and forth between state and county officials. So first off, not not long after the Sean Monterosa uh, killing, um, it was actually a month after on July 2nd, someone from uh, DA Krishna, Krishna Abrams office brought the Willie McCoy file to the Department of Justice and just said, hey, this is yours. I'm recusing myself. Um, from that and the Monterosa thing. And there's been a, a lot of letters back and forth. You know, the police- Excuse me, Brian, just... I just want to uh, clarify for listeners. That was Solano County DA, Chris Abrams, right? Yes, that is yeah. that is correct. So there were calls for her office to recuse herself. The protesters and families of, of people who have been killed by Vallejo police are like, hey, you need to recuse yourself or hold officers accountable. She chose to recuse herself mainly because, you know, there was just the community didn't believe that she could be fair and honest in this. So, um, you know, she wanted the Department of the California Department of Justice to come on. You know, Javier Becerra said, "No, um, this, you you haven't shown that you can't do it." You know, the police chief Shawnee Williams is writing Abrams letters saying, "You know, the world is kind of watching us right now." Um, so, as far as the Sean Monterosa and Willie McCoy cases, those are still in the DA's office, even though she has recused herself, and they're trying to figure it out. But the Department of Justice, the State Department of Justice is coming in to investigate specifically the destruction of the windshield, as that would be someone in the police department potentially destroying evidence that in, in a police shooting investigation. So that's what they're specifically focusing in on. And Eric, uh, this is the fourth shooting of this police. Is this actually the fifth shooting by this police officer or fourth shooting? I'm not even clear at this point. Yeah. This particular and police officer. Right, fourth. And actually, it's really interesting because the Vallejo Police Department, nor have the city confirmed which officer was actually involved uh, in the shooting of Sean Monterosa. Um, really, the, the, the officer's name, uh, Jarrett Ton, he has been identified by local reporters, um, which is how we know that information. Let me bring a caller on uh, and let's go to Josh, who's calling us from Vallejo. Josh, welcome to the program. You're on the air. Thank you very much for having me. Um, it's a really interesting conversation, and I'll keep my narrative pretty short. Um, we have, uh, I believe, an on-duty police-to-citizen ratio of about one to 12,000. There's about 10 officers on duty at any given time in Vallejo. So as a citizen here, um, having seek the help of the police and having a partner of color, um, there's a lot of conversations that we have in our house around what the right thing to do is. And I don't think there's any right answer, but one thing that is clear is that you have officers that are working longer shifts um, with less coverage through a defunded program. Um, so we were one of the first cities to defund recently. I think in the New York times, there was an article by a local reverend who said, you know, I don't know that this is the best idea. And he, you know, in that article, he quoted the increase in police shootings, um, I don't necessarily have a viewpoint on that that I'd like to share, but I just like people to consider the unintended consequences that we face through things like defunding um, and reduced police officers on the street. Uh, it's nice to know who your police officers are. I'm a resident of San Francisco. You know typically who your beat cops are. And so I just think like, you know, the narrative is get rid of the police. The police are bad. But... Um, 
I think that there's some things that we're not really being honest with ourselves about when looking at this. And it's easy to look at it from an outside viewpoint. And Josh, I appreciate your point of view. I'm I'm glad you called in and it's good to hear from you. And actually, I want to go right to a point that you've made here because I think it's important and I'd like you to comment on it if you could, Erica Cruz Guevara. And that is, there's been a lot of concern about the fact that Vallejo police uh, are stretched, as he said, but also the fact uh, that you have uh, Vallejo police officers who are not part of the community. For the most part, they're, I guess we call imports from other communities. That was not the case, uh, certainly before the bankruptcy. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, an officer I, I spoke with um, uh, last year for uh, a three-part series that I worked on um, had told me, you know, he grew up, was born and raised in Vallejo. And by the time he left, um, you know, there were, he could only count the the number of, of people on the department who knew the community well. And he says, you know, if you, if you understand your community, you're, you're, you're less afraid. And I also wanted to just kind of comment on something that Josh had mentioned, which is, Um, you know, the idea that there is kind of no alternative to policing in this, in this moment, like, who else do you call when you have a problem? And, you know, I think something that I think gets misunderstood about the the concept of defunding the police, which is an abolitionist kind of concept, is that the idea is that, you know, we're not just taking the money away from the police and that's it and that's the end of the story. The idea is that you defund the police and you use that money to fund other programs, other say these alternatives to policing. Um, and, and that's kind of the idea I think behind uh, that, that concept there. And again, Erica Cruz Guevara is producer of KQD's uh, The Babe podcast. Let me get another Vallejo caller on. It's Peter joining us now. Peter, good morning. Hi there. Uh, yeah, my, my, it's kind of a part question and part comment on what's going on right now in Vallejo. As a citizen, as a transplant, I moved here about a year ago, and uh, I've actually watched in a very short space of time the, a decline in civic involvement as well from City Hall on down. That includes the police department. And it just and I've spoken with uh, members of the Chamber of Commerce and members of, of the, the community who are business owners and citizens alike of all different uh, social groups and classes and races and genders, et cetera. And they're all across the board here in Vallejo wondering when the city itself, the, the mayor on down, is actually going to start kicking in. Because right now it just feels, it feels like there's a complete civic breakdown that's systemic-wide, not just with the police department, but also uh, with the uh, city hall as well. And uh, I'll take my comment off the air. Yeah, thank you for that, Peter. Erica, I'm going to go back to you on this. Uh, is there kind of a breakdown uh, in terms of city hall here that we need to like take in? Yeah, yeah, I think absolutely. You know, I think a lot of people in Vallejo, a lot of residents who I've spoken with, uh, residents who've who've been showing up to city hall before kind of this national attention has been brought to to the city of Vallejo have really just been waiting for the city to even admit that there is a problem uh, in Vallejo. You know, uh, last just last year, the uh, city um, the city manager uh, was uh, sitting at a at a city hall meeting saying, you know, I don't think that Vallejo has a use of force problem. Um, sometimes use of force is necessary. And, you know, I think a lot of people are just looking for, uh, are saying, you know, if, if you don't even admit there's a problem, how can we even begin to fix it? So absolutely, I think there is a disconnect between uh, perception at City Hall versus the per- what, you know, the community members are seeing every day. Yeah, in fact, uh, the city manager uh, said publicly that there have not been a, 
a number of excessive cases when it comes to use of force. Let me go to you on this, Brian. I'd like to have you weigh in. And Brian Kranz, again, is investigative reporter working with the nonprofit newsroom Open Vallejo. What's your understanding of uh, where the city government plays its role here? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, now there's a lot of engagement um, specifically uh, because they had their budget, the city had their budget meeting the week that Sean Monterosa was killed. And especially because everything's virtual now, people can just weigh in on something. So, you know, as soon as they open it up, the budget discussion this year, the Vallejo Police Department was supposed to get 46% of that. And immediately, as soon as they opened up the, the comments, you know, the first comment was defund the police. You know, there's regular calls from family members, like we're going to vote people out of office because it is, there's a big lack of people not wanting to admit a problem. And something we have coming up in our podcast this week is that not just people inside city government, but also the county district attorney's office, you know, and they keep clearing all of these shootings. The city keeps making all these civil payouts. You know, there has to come at a certain point just being like, maybe there is a problem. And a lot of activists are now pointing to a, a group of officers that are just like, when they keep talking about bad apples, they like, hear the names of those guys here, here, who, here's who they are. If you, if you want to make meaningful change, please do something about these specific officers. And let's get another Vallejo caller joining us. Robert, you're on the air. Good morning. Yes, yeah, thank you. I wanted to lend my support to an open investigation and even go further and ask for the creation of a State Department of Consumer Affairs or Investigation Bureau like the State Bar who can handle these matters so that we don't get into these difficulties between the attorney general and the district attorney, who both of whom have to work with police officers on a daily basis and have to depend upon them for credibility as witnesses in criminal procedures. They can be done uh, through the state process. It would remove a lot of these difficulties. And, of course, here in Vallejo, we do need to look at what we have done and what we're doing and try to get more people moving towards the need to recognize the change. You see, uh, Robert, am I correct? You're a former council member or current council member? I am on the council. I'm yeah. my last year, yes. Yeah. And how do you think city government's been handling this? Well, I think they're trying to thread the needle and be very careful because they, they are concerned about it making admissions due to the claims against the city and the civil litigation that is coming, obviously. So they're trying to be very protective of, of their resources and their personnel asking that the public not necessarily form conclusive opinions until all the evidence is in. And, of course, it's not. We we hear bits and pieces as it unfolds, but because of the secrecy laws that do protect law enforcement uh, in this state, uh, a lot of it is not yet available to any of us. Well, Robert, I thank you for the call. And uh, we're coming up to the end of this segment. Uh, Erica Cruz-Guevara, let me just go back to you for a few seconds here to get you to comment on the, the, the uh, killing of George Floyd really put the focus on Vallejo, but it didn't really have much of an activist infrastructure before that, did it? Yeah, that's right. You know, I think uh, the activist infrastructure in Vallejo is really uh, made up of the families of people who have been shot and killed by police in Vallejo, you know, um, people who have never really uh, seen themselves as activists, never never would have imagined being kind of thrust into this role and, and have been because of the deaths of their their brothers, you know, their sisters, you know, Angel Ramos's sister, uh, Angel was shot in 2017, 
you know, she has really become a huge voice in the city of Vallejo. So has David Harrison, who is the cousin of, of Willie McCoy. And today, you know, you see the sisters of Sean Monterosa leading the protests and the chants downtown. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it is a, as I think, you know, some writers have said, it, it's a club that, that folks have never maybe wanted to join. Um, I think Brian said that in, in his Open Vallejo podcast, and I believe that that's, that's absolutely true. It's amazing how much uh, the family has provided this quest for justice, the families of these victims. Uh, let me thank both of you. Good to have you with us, Erica and Brian. Appreciate your being with us this segment of Forum and another segment of Forums up ahead. So stay tuned. Be with us. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.